Even if the client is really clear on what they want, always, always give them options to choose from at different price points. So whatever the business and you see the bronze, silver, gold or the good, better, best everywhere because it works from, as you say, the small, medium, large in the coffee shop to the bronze, silver, gold, sass tiers. I think it's very empowering. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoy the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm talking with and learning from Jenny Miller. Jenny's the founder of Untapped Pricing. Now, why do we need to hear from Jenny? I think many people find pricing difficult. They haven't addressed it very often. When they do, they address it with some sense of fear or uncertainty. Could we charge more? If we do, will our clients leave? Even a sense of self-worth. Are we worth more if we charge more? But if we don't charge more, inflation is eating away at our margin and we need to get comfortable about it. And we need a mechanism of looking at pricing in a way that allows us to charge what we're worth, value-based pricing. So Jenny and I talk about some of the myths on pricing. We talk about whether you should have multiple price points, how to anchor on price. We talk about the Goldilocks concept, the mom test. And Jenny brings to the conversation her experience pricing at eBay. So she spent a long time at eBay looking at how to use pricing as a behavioral signaling mechanism. And she brings a lot of that to our conversation today. I found it insightful. I'm sure you will too. I'm Jenny Miller, founder of Untapped Pricing. We specialize in helping organizations price their products and services. So it's often such a neglected or overlooked lever in a business, yet it's such a powerful driver of of growth. So we like to bring colour and energy to the topic of pricing and give our clients that sort of confidence to take action and remove the guesswork. Jenny, welcome to the Melting Pot. Normally, when I talk to people and we bring up pricing, I don't know, I'm somewhere between telling them their children are ugly and making them have a cardiac arrest because it is, I mean, next to telling one of their employees they have BO, it's probably one of the things that makes them the most uncomfortable. What, how do you, do people come to you when they've got a problem or are they, are they sort of, are they trying to get your help tangentially or how does an engagement normally work? 
So I agree that it can be a a very um, topic that invites a lot of strong opinions and often those opinions are quite negative. I think there's a lot of fear around changing prices, rocking the boat, or our customers going to march out the door. What if we mess things up? And a real lack of confidence around how to optimise pricing and and use it in a more, more effective way. So our clients come to us based on different triggers. So sometimes they are in distress and it's like we've got a real problem here. We've got a fix. It might be that there are inflationary forces just squeezing margins and they've got to act. It might be that they've just outgrown their current pricing. Maybe they feel there's they're leaving money on the table. There's additional headroom on price, but they don't know how to go after it. But also as As a business evolves, you can use pricing in different ways to support different strategies. So you would price very differently as you're just getting off the ground, collecting logos versus when you're scaling and thinking about kind of diversifying revenue streams or serving different audiences. And so sometimes clients want us to to help them deploy pricing to fix certain things? Is it to to help with retention or acquisition or upselling or profitability, something else? Okay. How did this end up being your specialist subject? So my deep interest and nerdiness around pricing started during my 10 years at eBay. So I was responsible for setting the fees for selling on the European eBay platforms. So it was a $26 billion business back then, and we priced very strategically to optimize financial performance, but also to nudge customer behaviors. And so that's where my interest in the psychology of pricing really started and its role in our decision-making, either as a consumer buyer or a business buyer. And so at Untapped, we think a lot about how and when customers see pricing information in their customer journey with you. And what sort of things on the eBay platform, what sort of behaviours were you able to nudge and what were the sort of experiments you ran? In the- yeah, so at, at what an example would be using pricing to help control the quality of listings being put onto the site. So we use kind of a very small upfront listing fee, just a few pence, but that was enough to, to make people think, particularly consumer sellers, to make people think, oh, is this worth it? And so there was a very small price barrier, but that really helped kind of control the the quality of inventory. And then we used promotions to kind of guide our sellers until the best time to list their items. So, I mean, this was a while ago now. So their auction business, I mean, it still is really strong, but we noticed that the most common time for auctions to close was a Sunday night or or there was the most kind of bidding activity and interest around seven o'clock on a Sunday night. So we would run promotions to encourage sellers to list their items seven days earlier. So we've got the, the maximum amount of closing auctions when we've got the maximum amount of demand on the site. Ah, see, I didn't know that was the case, but would typically list something on a Sunday thinking that that was probably likely to be the time that most people were around okay so that makes sense and 
that helps people get the maximum amount for their item, which is in turn generates the most fee for you. So it's good. It's a win-win, which is good. Yeah, win-win-win, because you've got three audiences there. You've got buyers who who want want to buy, you've got sellers who want to sell, and you've got eBay who wants to be that kind of platform sat in the middle. Fab, the work that you do with clients, if, I, if I'm a client and I come to you and go, how do you help people put their prices up? Like, how do you, how do you, do you run an experiment? I mean, I guess you do some analysis and run an experiment. Have you got an example you could talk through? Yeah. So I think, I think there are various parts of it. So firstly, uh, as we kind of touched on earlier, pricing can be a hot potato. Often for scaling organizations, there's no clear ownership. So it might be passed around the senior leadership team and everybody's got an opinion. So a, a critical part of our process is facilitation. So facilitating senior leaders to align on where they want to get to with pricing, surface all of those opinions and challenges that might get in the way. And then we bring that together with an evidence-led approach. So how do we conduct the kind of research that's going to remove the guesswork prove out our hypotheses and directly inform those pricing decisions. So we do lots of qual and quant, which lets us really probe for our clients, customers' needs, motivations, what is the role of price in their purchase decision, what unlocks willingness to pay, what are the key drivers of value. And we can sort of explore that in detail in qualitative interviews with their, their customers or prospects. And then we can go and validate this at, at scale with survey work too. So you end up with something that persuades the client to let be less fearful. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I think we try to build the evidence that makes it irrefutable. Right. So and we, we call it tripping over the truth. So hearing from customers directly can be incredibly powerful. And then, of course, for some, some businesses, not all, but there might be the op- opportunity to run pricing experiments or trials. So we can kind of put the theory to test. We've got the customer lens that helps us sort of validate the thinking. But what can we go and test out and quickly learn and build that confidence in, in the business? And what, you got an example of a test that you ran for somebody? You don't have to say who they were, but what sort of test did you run and what were the outcomes? Yeah, so we've just done very successful pricing experiments for a, a photo gifting, photo products retailer in Switzerland. And they have been very inactive with changing prices, very cautious, very concerned that they will lose their market position if they don't sort of fiercely compete on price. But actually what we were able to prove is that from a customer perspective, they were head and shoulders above the rest in terms of quality and service and willing. There was that headroom on price. There was that willingness to pay. So then with that sort of customer insight, we were able to run experiments that would help prove this, that we could raise prices and boost margin without volume suffering. And we also kind of free shipping 
is not the norm yet in Switzerland, but it's coming. And so we wanted to help this retailer give them confidence in how and when to offer free shipping. So did some some experiments around that as well. So how you toggle base prices to uh, to enable free shipping and ensure that kind of we that the customers changing needs are also met on that front. Okay. And have you got any sort of B2B service examples as well? Yeah. Yeah. So we work with a lot of tech companies. So we're often helping design and price SaaS offerings. And it might be that those SaaS prices are sort of published and it's a high a high volume, low touch or no touch sale or that those technology businesses are serving kind of enterprise clients. And so they need to price, but it's it's not published information. And so I think your, your ability to test and learn goes up if your, your pricing isn't there, stuck on your website. But there are still kind of ways and means to just, yeah, build, build out the evidence that's going to make a business feel more confident. And is that, are you helping people look at their price and look at those willingness to pay drivers relative to their competitors? Yeah. So you mentioned competitors there. And I think that's interesting because often businesses will anchor their prices to a, a set of competitors that they believe is important. But it's quite common that we then go and prove that actually either their customers aren't shopping around, but if they are shopping around, that it might not be with the same list of competitors that they're anchoring their prices to. So uh, uh, firstly, I would encourage organisations to, again, kind of remove the guesswork. So to, to, to check, like, are your customers shopping around? And if so, what are the alternatives that they're looking at? And what is the role of price versus other factors? And then you know kind of what to be taking into account when you're making your decision and how closely to monitor those competitors. I think that's fascinating. I find often when I'm doing work with clients and I say, who are our competitors? There is a lack of clarity in the organization. So there's a little bit of, we're going to make it up. And then there is a real lack of certainty about why somebody buys from us and not from those competitors or why somebody buys from those competitors and not from us. And how easy is it to, you know, I know who's, I know who I might have won, but that, that volume of customers that we have won in the recent past, certainly in a smaller organization, it's going to, might be quite small. Are you able to go to the market and get information on how the competitors are doing? Are you, do you try and find competitor customers to talk to and sometimes so i think so as you're saying they kind of there might be a set of competitors that an organization is focused on but actually we need to think a little broadly than that because think about alternatives because it might be that alongside com- competitors there's the well we do nothing or we do it in house or we build it in a different way, or there's a clunky workaround, and they might also be in your customers' minds. I think when conducting research with your customers, like it's best to ask them what was being considered at the point of purchase or the point of renewal, 
And then also to go beyond that existing customer base where you might well come across customers of competitors and you're sort of stepping outside of your current, those in your universe. So you can compare the answers from those who have experience of what you have to offer versus those who are just perceiving it from outside. Well, we have had a couple of instances where going into a project, a client was thinking, okay, yeah, we're, we're really clear on what we want to do. They brought us in either to, to validate the thinking or to help them communicate that price change. And actually, we've ended up advising them against that change or doing something different. That does happen. Fortunately, those clients have been receptive to that. So they have changed tack and been open to that evidence-led thinking. Generally, they're ready to act and ready to, to lean into the results. By the time that if they're paying money to you, they're keen to... I, I was just wondering whether sometimes people think they're keen to do it. And, you know, you gather all the information and from your perspective, it is absolutely compelling and still they don't have the they still have the they, they get overcome by fear and don't act that only tends to happen if something we've discovered something else that's a dependency so you know that additional willingness to pay is there if you can support them in this way or I don't know, there's a, there's an expectation on the product or the service that they can't quite fulfill yet. So it's a, well, we just need to think it's about when it happens, not if it happens. Sometimes there is, we also work carefully to understand the, the client's appetite for risk and line pricing strategy with their overall brand strategy so price has got to tell the same story as your as your brand and everything else that you're doing and so yeah understanding that appetite for risk is very different from organization to organization and so i think that's a key a key consideration so we're not too out of whack with that at the end and have you got sort of a list of myths that you think people have in their heads about price that we could debunk oh Great question. Yes. I think there's a, if it's not broken, if it's not broken, don't fix it. So I see a lot of organizations just leaving pricing in place without evolving it or changing it because nothing glaring is, is going glaringly wrong. And I think that can be a real missed opportunity because everything's always changing. So your business is changing, your customers are changing and, and needs and motivations and willingness to pay evolve. And it can be quite, quite continuous. And so I think if you, if you don't touch it, then that's, that is going <laughs> to, that is going to lead to bigger problems. So it's almost like it builds a pricing muscle in your business. So a way to kind of continually keep on top of the performance of your pricing and, and react to, to how things are changing. Okay. What else? What else do people, do you see people doing? Yeah, so that would be one. So I'm not sure whether it's myth or not, but so, so we talk a lot about the pricing thermometer. So at the bottom, you have your costs to deliver your products or services. And then at the top of the thermometer, you have value to the customer. And then your price is set somewhere between the two. So the difference between your costs 
at the bottom and your price, that's your margin. So that's your incentive to sell. And then the difference between your price and value to the customer, that's their incentive to buy. But so often we see businesses that either aren't clear on their costs or the value to the customer. And so price gets set rather arbitrarily in between. And that leads to really common challenges around kind of the business isn't profitable enough, you're you're speaking to the wrong audience, or you're struggling to convey the value that you deliver. Because if you don't understand it, how are you going to communicate that effectively? So I think thinking about the two ends of that thermometer, firstly, around your costs. So, you know, that directly points to your break-even point and costs are evolving all the time. So I think organisations that don't stay close to that are going to get into difficulties. And then also, I, I guess at the top of that thermometer, thinking about understanding value, there are a lot of kind of myths around you know how or questions about how would I understand value it's a common phrase you know charge what you're worth that I think sounds great but it's absolutely useless what does that mean (laughs) right so I think and you need to appreciate that willingness to pay is rooted in the perception of value but it's not an inherent property of a product or service So if I said, what's a pint of beer worth? Then the answer really is to whom? Because if you're a wine lover, the answer might be nothing. If you're a beer lover, then your answers still will vary hugely depending on the context. So if you're a yeah, you might be willing to pay quite a hefty premium for a cool beer on a hot day at a festival at the only beer stand there, whereas you'd expect to pay much less for the exact same beer from a rundown grocery store. So whatever your business is, staying close to the context of your customers and how that's changed is critical. Which reminds me of an experiment I'd read about, about pricing. So I, I, let me tell you this and then I'll get you to then Maybe there's a whole theory behind it that you can explain to us. So the experiment, as I understand it, was that there were three types of beer in this student bar. Cans of beer, £2.50, £3.50, £4.50. All the volumes at £3.50. The following week, they took the £2.50 beer and they made it £5.50. All the volume moves up from £3.50 to £4.50. And then the next week, they did it again and they didn't change any of the beer. And so, of course, the students are coming in week in, week out, and they were able to keep doing that. And there was enough draw in the bar so that their willingness to pay was there. And they were just doing this experiment and value of the beer in the middle of the three, it was set by the two on either side. And so, so often we see SaaS companies in particular online offering sort of three options, high, middle or low, or maybe now people do four. And there's the, do you put the, do you put the high price at the left or the right? So there's some good stuff in there, but even as a even as a services business or in services businesses, so often I would see our clients would go and talk to a customer. They'd come back and they'd generate them one quote. And I'm like, no, don't do that. You know, sometimes you might be surprised and they might take the bigger one. And sometimes whilst they told you they had enough money to buy the thing you've proposed that was in the middle, they might decide to take a cheaper option because they might have a, you know, whoever it is who thinks they're buying, get some pressure from around them. And so, you know, create a draft, send it to them with three pricing on. Why would you 
think you've hit the bullseye without knowing everything. Brilliant. Loads going on there. So I completely agree with you. So even if the client is really clear on what they want, always, always give them options to choose from at different price points. So whatever the business and you see the bronze, silver, gold or the good, better, best everywhere because it works from, as you say, the small, medium, large in the coffee shop to the to the bronze, silver, gold, SAS tiers. I think it's very empowering for any buyer to be presented with options, lets you anchor their perception of price by kind of pricing up that top option considerably higher than the others. Some will go for it because they want all the bells and whistles you can offer. But even for those who go for the bronze or silver, it's still helping to influence their perception of those other prices. The students going for the middle, so that's often called the Goldilocks effect. So we kind of feel like that's that's the safe option. And what a fantastic experiment to consider replicating in your business, right? So, right, like do do the same, try it test it and learn. Like if it might also be the case that, you know, you piloted some options and everyone seems to be going for the gold option. So make that the bronze and build up from there or make it the silver. I I think for service businesses or sort of businesses writing proposals rather than publishing their services on a website, then it can also put you on the front foot for negotiation that might follow because you've already laid out how scope changes with price. So you you will find that it invites less negotiation or certainly kind of you've already anchored on pricing that how price will need to change if scope needs to change. So design thinking is and facilitation are like the magic ingredients in our approach to making progress quickly with busy teams and the techniques involved in that. So the like making progress at pace through kind of bringing people together for very carefully designed and facilitated sessions, removing the guesswork, customer centricity. I wish I'd had all of that in my armory earlier in my career and uh, and been able to apply it to just things like endless meetings and the lack of sort of structure and alignment and decision making the little tools and techniques that we use now I just wish I'd had in the toolkit Uh, it would have saved me kind of in aggregate years of my life probably (laughs) in ineffective meetings so I think that's the thing that jumps out the most fab and what what should people what books do you think people should pick up and this like this might be about pricing or you might have read some amazing novel last week and you think you should share that but whatever you've got for us in terms of recommendations yes great so I'm going to recommend the mum test by Rob Fitzpatrick. It's a quick but mighty powerful read. So it's all about the art of asking questions in a way that even your mum can't lie to you. And so this is so useful when you're trying to ask customers or prospects about value and about price. Because it's, yeah, so the techniques in this book, I think, are just everyone should sort of have have a look at anyway, but particularly useful when you're trying to get a better and accurate feel for how to talk about value and price. 
Well, so this arrived in the post this morning. So it's right next to me, decoded by Phil Barden, the science behind why we buy. So I haven't read it yet. You, you, you must have decided it was worth buying. Exactly. So it was recommended from a friend and colleague. And I think I th- my expectation is this is going to get all that wonderful consumer psychology that we're, we're so interested in. Fab. And if people want to get in touch, where could they find you? Yeah. So three things to say. So please connect with me on LinkedIn. So I'm Jenny Miller with an A, Miller. Come see our website, untappedpricing.co.uk. And then final thing, like if you would like a quick tool to use to assess the health of your current approach to pricing and signpost where it might be under-optimised, go to thepricingscorecard.com. So this is our like award-winning tool. It's a health check. It'll take a few minutes to answer a series of yes-no questions, and then you get a personalised report with lots of tips and tricks for areas that you might want to improve. So thepricingscorecard.com. Jenny, that's brilliant. It's been absolutely brilliant to talk to you today. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.